Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's episode, we sat down with St. Louis artist Gina Alvarez. And wouldn't you know, another fun and insightful conversation. So stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Today we're talking with uh, Gina Alvarez. How are you doing? <laughs> we just we just met not too long ago. Um, so could you could you tell us a little bit about um, I guess where where you're from and where sure. you're currently residing? Sure. I am. Well, I'm originally from Wisconsin and extremely proud of that fact. Um, and it seems every day desperately trying to get back I to see. Wisconsin. Um, but I'm currently living and working in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, have been here for 11 years. Um, moved here via Charleston, South Carolina, the beautiful South. Um, and um, I'm in, I don't know, amazed that 11 years have gone by in one space, in one place. <laughs> right, right. Well, we were, we were just talking about that, too, in terms of, you know, getting older and time going by and all that. Um, so, um, so growing up in, in Wisconsin, um, you know, obviously, I, I would imagine, obviously, you know, weather is, is one thing or maybe, you know, the outdoors, I, I don't know. What, did you have any kind of specific, um, I don't know, in experiences or anything that you kind of enjoyed growing up or? Well, I think I had the ideal childhood, actually, um, akin to you'll shoot your eye out kind of thing. <laughs> um, I, well, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin, in Racine, Wisconsin, which is a very Midwestern, blue-collar, industrial city population, I don't know, 100,000, I think, when I was growing up there. Um, my dad was in the printing industry, worked for Western Publishing. Um, they made golden books, mm -hmm. and his father worked there, and my mom... Uh, was a, is a medical transcriptionist, um, currently has worked for the same place for, you know, over 30 years. So I, I kind of relished my childhood because it was really simple and it was really easy and fun. We, there was no extravagance at all. My, my parents' ideal idea of a vacation was camping mm -hmm. in Wisconsin. I mean, right. I think once we went to Canada, <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was very um it was just a very good happy youth sure. basically i was an athlete um i was a gymnast um for 14 years and a diver for five i had so you know i grew up kind of with a really competitive uh element right to, right to things and um well, and with total jack so how so how did how did that uh, transformation take place? Um, did I mean were you were, were you always um, I guess interested in doing other things uh, you know aside from that? I mean in terms of I mean obviously you know um, just just on my end obviously my my niece is nine and she's kind of going through like a really cool little like exploring a lot of crafts and stuff like that. I mean did you um, do a lot of that stuff or you know was it really just a lot a lot of sports still? It was a lot of sports. Like that was the that was the first and foremost. But I had a grandmother who sewed, um, and my father and my grandfather are woodworkers. So we always had the shop in the basement, my dad's shop, and he would let us work down there with him um, side by side. Oftentimes, gifts were handmade wooden objects. Um, camping, we would always whittle, you know, um, with my grandpa. So there was always that sort of aspect. And then my grandmother was a seamstress and the, um, you know, I liked fashion like any young girl and we would go shopping and I'd walk through and say, Oh, I like that. Oh, I like that. And she would say, I can make that for you. Right. No buy that. You can make that. <laughs> <laughs> and then we would do it. We would pursue it. And, um, 
I was, she was always making me handmade swimsuits. <laughs> so I was diving and handmade swimsuits. <laughs> um, so there was always this, you know, idea of whatever you want, you can make it. Um, sure. So I think that that was really key for me. And when I was in high school, um, I took ceramics classes and jewelry making classes. Okay. So I think my segue into the arts was more uh, craft related. And, and, with that. and so did um, you did you wind up then going to college for sports or did you co- into college? Well, did, I guess I should ask that. Did, you did, broke did, up a- oh, I, I was just asking. You know, did you wind up doing sports in college then, or? I, well, I did. For I was a walk-on. I ended up having knee surgery and all this stuff. Um, but I was a walk-on onto the diving team um, in college. Yes. Um, and then I just enjoyed too many recreational things. To, right, right. For, to continue <laughs> with that. And I, I'm, I'm hoping that art, and, art, art came in there, too, at that point. <laughs> yes, it did. Actually, when I graduated from high school, my ceramics teacher pulled me aside, um, like physically pulled me aside when I was in my cap and my gown, and he said, you need to pursue the arts, and it was actually the first time I had ever thought about it. My parents having the mindset of, you need to work, you know, your life, you need to work, you need to make money, they were not interested in the idea of the arts basically. So they wanted me to go to school to get a degree in something that would make me money. Right. Um, and then 11 years later. So when I, 11 years later, <laughs> I'm in the arts and not making money, but I'm happier probably. Oh, for sure. Know, for sure. Depending on the day. <laughs> um, but I declared an art major when I was in college, and um, my parents were not happy with me, and to the point where I dropped out after two years. So right, um, and then took a long hiatus. Um, well, but well, did, did some pretty amazing things. So did you did you wind up going back for that, or did you just um, I guess naturally kind of then just get involved in the arts and and just kind of pursue it on your own? I, well, in the hiatus, um, Mm -hmm. from school, I, I think it was the quintessential trying to find myself kind of thing. Um, but I worked in a plywood factory where I pressed veneer facings to hollow core doors. Um, I worked in a grocery store as the sign maker for the whole grocery store and the produce girl. (laughs) And, um, which I took very seriously, um, cause it was all display, um, but display of rutabagas and potatoes and bananas. Sure. <laughs> um, and, and then when I moved to Charleston, South Carolina, I worked in, I became a registrar for a studio school. They had this really great, um, nonprofit there at the time called the Gibbs Museum Studio. Mm -hmm. There's the Gibbs Museum, which is largely a historical um, museum and regional uh, artists, and then they had a studio affiliated. And so I was the registrar. I took registration for all the classes, and because of that, I could take classes for free. Nice, nice. So I took clay classes and printmaking and um, drawing and painting. So I kind of did the non-academic um, institution education until I was ready to go back to school. Right, right. So, yeah. And so what was what was that process like in terms of getting back? Um, it was easy. Sure. I mean, I had already established residence in Charleston, Um and it was easy. I applied, and I um, they have a really great printmaking program there, which was my concentration uh, with a woman named Barbara Duval. Um, and so I actually was a double major in costume design, which the sewing interest, you know, 
prevailed and printmaking. Um, and then, you know, I worked for the theater. I did a lot of, um, wardrobe and costuming. There's a huge festival that happens in Charleston that I worked for. Um, so I think what happened was I just got this really great sense of how you can make a living, um, in the arts, that there are many facets of that. So it didn't seem so foreign to me. It didn't seem so dead endish, I guess, as my parents thought it was. Well, and so communal, it sounds like too, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, just working with so many different kinds of people and, Mm -hmm. you know, in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. So, well, and and so, you know, I, I know obviously just looking at your current work that, you know, you, you know, explore a lot of different, you know, ways of making things and different materials. Um, was that always something that you were invested in when you, when you began studying? I mean, obviously taking, doing clay, doing stuff with clay and and doing printmaking and and that sort of thing. Um, so. Yes, certainly. When I think that, um, when I went back to school and for undergrad, I had no idea what I was doing, but the great thing about, um, being in that printmaking program is that I could lose myself in the process. And I think that's generally true for printmaking, that there's a whole aspect of learning how to do the techniques, um, first, kind of first and foremost, and then infusing your sort of ideas, um, into the process or vice versa. Sure. Um, So I think I was able just to throw myself into learning the technical aspects of the medium um, without a clear idea of the conceptual side of things um, at the time, which was fine because I was, I think, kind of honing this idea of what does it mean to be in the arts, what does it mean to be an artist? What is it that I want to make? I had no idea. Right. So I just made prints. Sure. No. And, and it was a largely a figurative school. So the sort of uh, subject matter was defined in a lot of ways. It was figurative. It was all figurative. Sure. Um, well, and it's. Well, I was just going to say it's. It's really interesting to me because you know the. I guess it, it sounds a lot like, um, I guess my, <laughs> my, uh, interest or kind of exploration of starting, you know, um, cause at the, at the time I, I was so invested in, I don't know, trying, I, I guess trying to, trying to feel like I was making something that was new. Um, but I think in reality it was really about kind of searching through that, that process and kind of a very formal you know, you know, almost materials way. So I can, Mm -hmm. I can certainly understand that idea, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, you're taking, you know, obviously like different, different classes then in terms of different materials Were you, you know, doing, did you start doing installation early on or was that something that kind of came later? That came way later. I had no preconceived ideas about the art world, about what it meant to be an artist. Um, I had no idea what installation work was when I was in undergrad. Right. Um, I think I entered graduate school probably with an extreme deficit in terms of knowledge about what is going on. Um, So, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think it was, you know, I had an extremely naive approach. Um, Mm. But it didn't matter to me. I don't know. Right, right. Well, no, no. I mean, I think. I mean, I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, I, I think that that's kind of one of the hardest things, you know, um, to, to kind of really learn is to just to be a maker, you know, because yep. um, mm-hmm. it, it kind of answers to something that's a little bit beyond, you know, having a reason. Even I think because because you know it, it seems like one has to come before the other, and for me. Um, that, that just kind of ability to become invested in something or to search for something is, I think, like the most important aspect of it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. And, and so then you you got how many how many people were um, I guess with you when you started graduate school? Was it a was it a big program or no? There were ten. Okay. So and the program has changed drastically since I graduated in two thousand two. Um. 
but it was a very intimate program. And um, at the time, it was still defined by uh, media, whether it was draw, painting, printmaking, photography. Now it's completely interdisciplinary. Um, so, you know, but I was with people, I, I don't know, I was with people that were very concerned about, you know, the contemporary art world and um, what their place was in it and how to get, how to make it and how to get there and sure. all that jazz. And um, uh, it was shocked. I was shocked. I was, I had no, I, you know, like I said, I think I entered with an extreme deficit, but, but, you know, I think at the same time, my sort of, um, I guess, I don't know how to say it, just the, I guess, self-perseverance, self-preservation, um, kind of the idea of being, you know, keeping the intuitive quality of what it was that I was doing intact was really important. And um, I think after graduate school, it's, I think I feel lucky that that played such a major role in what I was doing in school because I can, I think I trust what I do um, right, or right. don't care what others think about what I do right. as much as I could, you know, because like you said, I think being a maker is the first and foremost um important aspect of, you know, how I pursue what I do. Sure. So, and I think it's amazing right now because I can participate in the fine art, the contemporary art, the craft world, the DIY world, right, right. whatever. And it's my choice, basically. And, and so that, in terms of that evolution then, I mean, did you, you know, you... Were you, did you start then to kind of really start thinking about the way that, um, you know, having having a certain conceptual bend to what you were doing would be something that could really, I don't know, I guess take your work in a different direction than you had before? Yeah. Well, I think what, um, because I came out of like a largely figurative school, you know, that figure, even when I started graduate school, was really important to me. Mm -hmm. Um but in a lot of ways, extremely cliche. Um, so that was something that I realized pretty quickly that I had to start thinking about and start, um, you know, addressing basically. Sure. So, and to this day, I still think, how can I represent the figure without representing the figure? I still think it's extremely important in what I make. Um, and how I make it. So that I would say is probably one of the the best questions I've had to ask myself in terms of evolving my work. Um, so that question was probably the springboard for a lot of of how my work changed, basically. Right. Well, because um, I, I guess I'm following that too. I mean, you know, there's there's certainly some of some of the pieces, obviously that that that, are, that I've seen on your website too, have that, like a really a tactile kind of quality, obviously, um, mm -hmm. which just kind of immediately kind of evokes that idea of touching, which mm -hmm. makes me think of <laughs> what it's like to be a human being, <laughs> you know. Right, and sort of a sensual idea of things. Sure. Sure. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think, I guess, you know, I guess what's really important to me is an idea of intimacy, mm -hmm. um, because I feel like I had this really funny conversation with my mom this weekend, this past weekend. It was actually really infuriating. <laughs> um, I think the older they get, the more invested in the idea of religion, mm -hmm. and I think this is typical. I think this happens with a lot of people. You know, and the closer they get to God and all that stuff. Sure. Um, and I was driving us to Madison, Wisconsin, just my mother and I for a girls weekend. <laughs> and um, the first, like the first question in the car she asks me is, well, if you, it, when you pray, who do you pray to? Right. I was like, why are you asking me this? Right, I right. do not want to have this conversation with you right now because 
my answer is not the same as your answer. Right, right. Well, well, if you don't pray to God, then who do you pray to? Is it yourself? Right. And I was like, yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's myself. (laughs) And so, so there's that, that idea of intimacy, that idea of self-reliance, that idea of self-preservation that I, when I make pieces, that's what's, that's what's at the bottom of it. The base level is it's an, it's a personal conversation that I'm having with myself while I'm creating. It's an intimate aspect of my being that I decided to share with the world that can be taken just as a pure aesthetic object. Or if you beg, if you, if you look at it long enough, then you want to touch it. You want to become intimate with it. Right. You know, So, so there's all those ideas of transcendence and intimacy and sensuality that I think are really, um, important that are also really nonverbal. Right. Um, and those are things that I think about when I make work. Well, and, and since, since you kind of shared a little anecdotal thing, um, what, what I seem to be trying to explain to, to people lately, um, when I get into not necessarily the same conversation, but similar ones. Um, and I guess in a way trying to explain that I can't help being who I am. Um, I, I inform people that I've spent years sitting in a room, looking at a couple of things up on a wall and talking about it for hours. Um, and that, and that, and essentially just because of that, it's very difficult for me to not be in that mode, you know, to where I'm always kind of mm-hmm. being, being and looking at those things. And, you know, um, you know, this is not critiquing, right. I mean, and just to be kind of observant and, and to think about these things and, you know, not necessarily again, cause, um, I think that my views on what I believe are, you know, always kind of changing. But one of the things that I kind of come back to is just that, I don't know, those, those moments of reflection, um, maybe they don't, maybe they don't happen for everybody. And, and I think in a way it makes a lot of sense. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems to me like a lot of people that I know that are artists, um, have a, sim- a similar kind of quality in terms of, you know, the way that they might, I don't know, experience something, you know, and, and, and experience it to be much more significant than it might appear to be, you know, which as trite as it sounds, it makes me think of that movie, um, Oh man, American Beauty, where the where where the kid you know is filming the bag floating around, you know, because I've I've had those right. those little moments that that for me are like you know really important, you know. So mm-hmm. sorry, sorry. That, you wish you could feel like bag floating in the air, right? You know? Sure. Yeah. And it just I don't it it just makes me think about how how small I guess certain things can I don't know it's it's interesting. But um, I, I digress and, and have thrown, well, thrown everything I off here. <laughs> I think it also, regardless of like how s- small it you you know makes you feel, or I think what it does on the opposite side of that is produces a sense of wonder. Oh sure, yeah. Which I think you know in tandem are. I think you should feel small. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I think there's absolutely no reason why you shouldn't feel small, you know, because I I think if you're, if you have any sense of insignificance, then you're, I guess, humbled by your existence, which is a good thing. Sure, sure. And so, and so you know, and kind of following this up maybe into uh, <laughs> my tangent into something that resembles a question or, or a discussion <laughs> point. Um, do, so do you find, I guess... Do you look for those kinds of moments? Um, do you do you ever you know and and again and just kind of coming across some of your pieces, um, you know, some of the materials that you use uh, become so interesting, and I just wonder, you know, are there are there moments where you kind of feel, you know, like that that sense of 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 wanting to create that you take from it that are that is based on materials, or is it just, you know, whenever you find it, or is it something unrelated, or I guess it's, you know, to take the easy way out, it's all of the above. Right. Um, But I do have to say that materials are um, 
oftentimes first and foremost. But, um, and I think that this harkens back to the, the training as a printmaker, um, Mm -hmm. just because process was first and foremost, but what starts to happen and I think is really key to my process is that you, um, through working, you, you allow the, I guess you concept, you are allowed to conceptualize the making. So, you know, the idea or the underpinning of the piece kind of happens simultaneously to the production of the piece. Right. Um, right. So there's that level of spontaneity that's really important. You know, I can start off by saying, I'm going to use this cloth and I'm going to use this embellishment and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to create an object. You know, I have no idea what it's going to look like. Right, right. Um, until it's over. And there's absolutely nothing that stops me from cutting the thing in half midstream. You know, it's like using an eraser. I don't like that line, so I'm going to erase it out, but it, with a pair of scissors instead. So, I mean, I have com- complete anxiety when it comes to drawing. I'm not a drawer and I'm not a painter. But I have no problem making three-dimensional objects right, in right. that way. I, you know, I always thought, like, whenever I, I taught printmaking for five years, and I would always think, God, you're the biggest liar to all these people. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I feel like when I, when I teach drawing. But uh, on another tangent here, I, I went and I spent a good time um, last Saturday working on a drawing, and I was kind of like, whoa, this is decent i can draw um so maybe maybe it's maybe it's a similar situation um what you know and again maybe this isn't going to be an interesting kind of thing and i'm sorry if i kind of stopped your thought but um you know i was i was thinking about because you know especially some of the smaller pieces um you know you you can think about that on such a intimate kind of you know hand size scale even you know um and I think it kind of makes sense in terms of like me seeing them. I mean, I, I kind of want to see them on that level, but I was curious then, did you, have you ever done anything that's been really, you know, just like consumed a space or taken over a space? Mm-hmm. I have. And, um, I have, yes. And it's great. I think to engage, uh, like with that much physicality, you mm-hmm. know, um, and and then also I've engaged a larger space through the small objects. So by creating the multiple, you know, there's something can be large but can be comprised of a lot of little. Right, right. Um, so that that's, you know, that's another way where I've taken over whole spaces. And I actually have a piece that I'm doing in Kansas City this summer, a public piece, Um that's on a massive wall and um but in my approach is going to be using a lot of little to comprise big right Um, right so the funny thing is is that the reason and i when i was in graduate school i made more large-scale work and did you know kind of installations i did one installation that was floor to ceiling like 20 feet and it was great but um I had a child. I had a baby. I have a five-year-old. And okay. um, the I think having a kid is what actually made my work um, shift to a smaller, more intimate scale. Right. Um, largely because when he was an infant, he would take a nap and I would go in my studio, which is in my basement. Um, so, you know, my work was produced during nap time, basically, and I'd have to, and our house is so small, um, that I'd have to be really quiet and, um, make all this work. So there became this, like, meditative aspect out of necessity, um, out of, you know, external forces, basically. Right, right. Um, but those things really interest me. And, you know, now he's five and he's like, you know, louder than I am. And (laughs) I don't necessarily have to worry about that. And more and more, I think, again, 
my work is changing as a result of having a little bit more freedom, basically, to pursue, you know, bigger ideas and right. all that. So, you know, what I was going to ask was, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just curious. So in terms of your own process, you know, you can kind of recognize changes for yourself pretty easily. Um, do you find that you kind of go through transitions where you might be, I don't know, more playful? Um, and I don't necessarily want to just kind of address that to, you know, having a, having a five-year-old, but, um, no, totally you know, that, playful. Well, I kind of got that impression, I guess, and just the way that you were kind of talking about that, you know? Yeah. I mean, even to the point where he'll come down and like, throw the sculptures around, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, totally. Um, I, but also I think humor has always been important right? for me. Um, or just to have some sense of humor about what it is that you do because whatever, you know, sure. Don't take yourself so seriously. Um, and I think there are ways that I, you know, address that through color, through shape. Um, and you know, material. I mean, so humor is really important and also uh, approachability is really important. And if my five-year-old can, you know, look at it and say, oh my God, that looks like cucumber, then that's awesome. Right, right. Um, (laughs) No, I I mean, I think, you know, it's it's strange, I think, um, because it's such a, I think having fun is such a important part of it that can somehow easily be forgotten when you're, you know, when you've got a deadline or something kind of coming up. So it's, it sounds to me like in a way that's a, that's a nice way of keeping you honest, you know? Yes. So, well, and also, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm OCD at all, Mm -hmm. but I like numbers and I like creating a lot of things a lot of little, or I like using a lot of little to make, you know, something and it's a total pain in my ass. It drives me crazy. I hate it, but it's what I do. And I, it's, it's important to what I make, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's this like total love hate relationship between like, why, why do I have to make 5,000 of these? (laughs) Isn't there an easier way, you know? Sure. But, but I think also that's so, it's really great because what it does is it walks me through in my head. So like if I have to make 5,000 of these, what's the best and the easiest material to use to make 5,000 of these? Right. And so then I get to go through this like catalog or this like Rolodex in my mind. Well, you know, should I make them out of clay? Should I make them out of concrete? They're so heavy. What about, you know, what about insulation, you know, that like pink foamy stuff or what about spray foam? Can I use spray foam? I, there's total reasons to use spray foam. I haven't gotten there yet, you know? Um, but it's, it's, it's that like, it's that conversation that gets me to the point of, okay, no, actually I should use this material. Right. You know? And I don't know. I think it's, I think it's, it's an important part of the process. I'm not afraid of using new materials. I think, um, well, it's, it seems like you could be kind of left anywhere where there's some things to kind of play with, you know? Um, yeah, we should all be left somewhere and, made to fend for ourselves. (laughs) Well, sure. But I mean, it seems like at the, um, and again, I don't know why this just kind of popped into my head, but the, you know, just that rep, that level of repetition, you know, I think is going to yield like a craftsmanship, um, just kind of instinctively, but you know, it just makes me wonder how, what you come up with when you're waiting for somebody at a diner. And there's like napkins on a table <laughs> or, yeah. or something like that, you know, cause I would imagine that eventually you'll have to just be like, you know, folding and tearing. Right. Right. Um, yeah. and so what, you know, what, you know, you've talked a little bit about, I guess, you know, this idea of, of how you want your work to be, but you know, how is it, how do you find it that it's received? And, you know, I think especially one thing that I maybe didn't ask was just, you know, do you ever, do you have pieces that are, are interactive then with, um, with the people that would come and, and see it, you know, in the, in the same way that you talked about, um, you know, um, 
having having your sculptures kind of tossed around in that, you know? Well, I mean, it's so funny that you brought up Brandon Anschultz because he um, he's a voice that's always repeating in my head. Um, because he and I he and I used to be really good friends, and we went to a museum together. And um, my first inclination is always to touch things. Mm-hmm. He got so mad at me because <laughs> I touched something, and he's like, "You are not supposed to do that." And I just, you know, I get it. And right. I don't get it, you know. And I know it's it's in the you know the more traditional gallery setting. It's not um, supposed to be. It's not supposed to happen. Um, but I think if you beg, if you beg the question, you know, don't you want to touch me? Right. I know you, I know you're curious about what I feel like, you know, I think if, if that can happen, I think it's successful. It's doing, the object is doing what it's supposed to be doing without having the actual act of touching. Right, right. Um, but so, you know, that context occurs in the more traditional gallery settings. I mean, that happens also. I've started using these bell jars to sort of prevent the touching. Right. Um, but also sort of um, idealizing the object in a lot of ways. Right. But then on the other side of that is I do these really low-end craft sales, and I put the sculptures in the craft sales. Right. You know, so these – I had one woman come – into the sale I did a couple weekends ago, and I had these two objects that have been in gallery settings, you know, have been untouchable, come in and pick them up off the table and say, what are these? (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I think that's the humor. I think that's the... um, Yeah, no, it's funny because I, you know, my my mom... um, is extremely into decoration and, and holiday crafts. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's always perplexing because it seems like after a certain point, there's a, there's only so many variations of like a snowman um, or a Santa Claus or something like that. And I don't know, it's, at some point, like I just, I don't, I don't know. I just, it's, I think it's just different for different people, you know, obviously mm-hmm. based on what they like, but for me, it's hard to see the same kind of value in that. And so, there's something really funny about the idea of somebody that, you know, is used to kind of getting that, you know, you know, that's a, that's a painting of, you know, a landscape on a saw blade. I can understand that. Um, to kind of going into this environment then where they're picking something up and just kind of like, well, this doesn't look like a, a tree. Right. What is it? You know, what is and, it? And, and why I, is it here? And, and it might be that that's that, you know, that whole, just that little, that little thing that's in, I guess in artists' minds that, you know, I don't know, it kind of gets back to that idea of just questioning like we were talking about before, just kind of being one, you know, looking at something and kind of wondering about it. So, you know, it's really But I guess that validation comes in a lot of different ways. Right. um, It doesn't matter to me in what way it comes because I think if you create work that's approachable, you're going to get it many different ways. Right, right. And if an object sells for $10 versus $100, it's sold. Somebody has it, you know? Somebody's enjoying it. Sure, Um, And I am not above making holiday crafts. I absolutely (laughs) love making holiday crafts. And um, just recently made snow globes. Right. And, um, And, you know, I had a great time going to the dollhouse section of Hobby Lobby and finding all these small elements, you know, and finding birds and pine trees and, you know, glitter. I bought so much glitter. (laughs) Um, And I went to Dick Blick because I got a gift card for $50 and I had a 40% off coupon and they have the most amazing jars at Dick Blick that they have in the painting section for, I think, like, keep cleaning brushes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I bought 30 jars 
and made all these snow globes. And I had them for sale at this craft sale. And one of my really good friends, who is one of the critics here in St. Louis, um, she's one of the writers for, you know, art shows, um, came and she wanted to buy two of the snow globes. Mm-hmm. And from across the room, there were a bunch of people. And from across the room, she asked me, how much are these? And I said, $15, mm-hmm. you know. And she hands me a check later for $100. And I was like, why did you write me this check for $100? And she said, well, you said that they were 50 each. I said, hell no, they're 15 each. <laughs> I would never charge $50 for these snow globes. She goes, well, I would totally pay it. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, it was just comical. So I made her tear that check up and write me a check for $30. Right, right. You know, I just, I think that, I don't know, I think it's really important to touch as many people as you can. And, um, right. And so there's no pretense about, you know, the objects or the kind of work that I make at all. Sure, sure. Like, um, I just saw this thing. It's a hula hoop. You can make a loom with a hula hoop and use old T-shirts and make a rug, you know? Right. But also, on the flip side of that, why isn't that kind of work high art? So how much fun is it to take that, you know, low art DIY craft and put it in a high art setting? So. No, no, I, I think that makes perfect sense, you know? Um and I think that, you know, it's, it's something that, um, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like there's, there's things everywhere, you know, that, that, that can kind of fall into, I guess, a what is art kind of category. Mm-hmm. And especially too, since you're not, you know, I, I always think it's interesting because, you know, people talk, it seems like most of the critiques that I've been in, um, or at least a good chunk of them have talked about the elusive, you know, viewer and, this is somebody that is always apparently, you know, taken all of art history and kind of, you know, you know, <laughs> no, knows, knows about cultural theory and, you know, all these other things. And so, I mean, I think that, you know, finding ways to make things approachable for other people is, you know, certainly something that's important, you know. Um, and I think a hard thing to balance because it seems like the, mo- the things that, I, that I'm most interested in you know, are, are able to talk about things on such a base level, but at the same time, then there's so many, there's so much room for explorate exploration in terms of the way that you think about it at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And if you create more avenues in the work for people to think, then you're engaging your viewer uh, in more ways than one. I think you do that really nicely with your work. I think, um, you know, you use these, you know, houses, right? Or, you know, buildings. Yeah, right, or, sure. You know, neighborhoods or environments. Um, I think memory is really, you know, I can look at your work and I can I can think of, you know, nostalgia and sort of this, like, you know, lapse in memory or this sort of, you know, like, flicker. Did this happen? Did this, you know, do I, am I remembering this correctly? Right. Um... And also, you know, the wood, and I don't know if you do this with all your paintings, but that wood, you know, is completely recognizable. You mean just as, as like something that you kind of feel familiar with or? Yeah, as a material. Right. Which automatically breaks down a barrier between the viewer and the object, the, the painting. You right. know, it's completely recognized. I mean, I think those things are important. Sure. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think just finding avenues for people to, to get into, inter- interested in it or, you know, find it approachable, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, and so I, I have a handful of other things for you, but um, I, I kind of have a, some ideas in terms of, of how you're going to answer this one. Um, but, um, you know, in terms of then trying to, to maintain this, this studio practice and all that you're going on, um, what are your biggest, I guess, kind of challenges in terms of doing that? I guess fatigue is my biggest challenge, but my biggest motivator is guilt. Right. <laughs> so I think those two things are constantly um, at odds with one another. Um, 
there's long periods where I don't make work. Right. Um, but I feel that, you know, I do, I do a lot, so I'm not absolutely not going to beat myself up about it because there's no point. Um, but another strategy, I guess, that I have is, um, and one that I've created for myself recently is, you know, having things in place that are long, that are, you know, in the future. So I have the ability to see the deadline and work towards it versus these things that will just pop up on me. I guess, you know, having so, I do have a lot of things going on. It has forced me to be more selective and, um, and that's okay. And that's, I think, you know, another aspect of realizing how, what your studio practice is, you know, and what environment do you make work? What's most optimal? What's, what's a hindrance, you know? Sure. My studio is in my home. It's in my basement. There are times where I hate that fact. Um, most often I hate it more than I love it, but also I've had studios outside of my home and I just don't know that it's, that that's even, you know, if that's an, an ideal situation. Right. Um, but, um, no, it's, it's, it always seems to come down to, you know, just time management really. And time management and, and motivation. Just, sure. Sure. Well, and for me, you know, you, you say guilt, um, you know, I also, if you also have any friends that just love to post new stuff all the time, Mm-hmm. That's always, I think that's always something that's encouraging too, because I'm just like, oh man, this person's really doing doing it, doing it. I got to get on it, you know. So, <laughs> yeah. um, and well, so, I I think my guilt is in form of school loans. Right, right. The amount of debt I put myself in to go to get a master's degree um, to pursue the arts. I don't know if that is. I don't know if that was a smart idea, but. Um, well, I made the decision. I made my bed, so to speak. So now I'm, I'm working within it. <laughs> well, and, and so one of the things that I've asked people in terms of that too, then, I mean, is, is this something that you would then encourage others to do? I mean, obviously, you know, um, doing it for enjoyment's sake is, is, is kind of one thing, but to do it for like, like a living, mm-hmm. you know, is something that requires a whole different kind of commitment. So, well, I mean, I'm not making a living as an artist, right? not I live a creative life um you know I think the arts are important I think my work is important my creating my artwork is important but I'm not making a living at it um but I am you know I think having a master's degree has you know allowed me to work in arts administration um and also you know I have worked at the community college I have had opportunities as a result of the master's degree whether or not I would tell someone to do it or not, I don't know. I think it's, I think that's a personal decision. Sure. Um, would I deter my child from doing it? No. Right. You know, I think it's important to, you know, find your own interests and um, pursue them at all costs. Otherwise, what's the point, right? Right, right. Um, I had, my son's teacher asked me, what I wanted him to be, which I just thought was a really weird <laughs> question. Like, how can I possibly say that what I want my child to be? It's not my life, you know? Probably a lawyer, you know. Probably very, not. Very, probably. very successful, right? <laughs> well, I, um, well, actually, if I think about it, what I would say is I want him to be a famous athlete, basically. <laughs> I think if, if there's any one career that was extremely lucrative and also sort of um, potential for autonomy, you know, it would be to be like a professional baseball player. <laughs> Not the most famous baseball player on the team. But just but to make it. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Boy. That, see, that would be such a um, – I, well, and, I, and I obviously, you know, I know, I know where, in terms of where you're coming from um, – not, you know, from personal experience that I've talked to somebody in that instance, but, um, you know, just that idea. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine any, you know what I mean? I don't know what you say to somebody in that, like, oh yes, I want this person to be this. And yet there's all these, all these questions in life to kind of 
have to live kind of before you kind yeah. of know those things. But, um, yeah, it just, it does make me kind of think how fun it would be to, to, to tell someone like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want them to be, you know, Michael Jordan level, but you know, but, somebody, somebody that might put on a Jersey once at least. Right. <laughs> or, or the man who throws the alley-oop. Right. You know? Exactly. That, exactly. That's fine with me. <laughs> you know, the supporting role. But, but, and I also think that, you know, if I can sort of think of, if I can say that there's any philosophy behind the way I make work or I live my life, it's it's in that idea of the supporting role and the importance of the person behind the scenes, I guess. Sure. Um, and, and also the notion, I think, you know, slow and steady wins the race, I think is a really important mantra of mine. There's absolutely no reason to do it fast, you know, but if you, you know, if you get to the point, um, you know, when you're 60 years old, if you can look back on your career and you can be proud of the fact that you stayed consistent, that you made the work that you love to make, then I think that that's my ideal you know, sure, sure. I think success is defined in a lot of different ways. So, right, um, and in a lot of different ways at different points in your life. So, whatever. <laughs> oh. Well, and so uh, you know, I guess in terms of just following up, there's just a couple of things left. But um, um, are there any, I guess, any people or um, artists, I guess that that you you know have kind of t- gravitated towards in terms of your I guess, uh, art education. And then I guess in following that, you know, um, you know, what, what, what have you seen, I guess it could be lately or something in the past that has really kind of, I don't know, wowed you or, or kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, inspired Mm -hmm. you in that regards. Um, I think for me, the biggest sort of turning point in my way of thinking about art, um, was seeing, work by uh, Kazuma Van Bonen, who is someone I really love, um, who uses fiber, who creates installations um, with, you know, and maybe not her more current work, but her older work. Um, She's someone who takes, you know, like Laura Ashley fabric and, you know, creates fences out of them. So just took this idea of the ready-made, i.e. fabric, you know, pre-existing fabric produced by someone else and um, transformed it into sculpture and um, installations. Um, So she's a biggie in my mind. Um, Oh, this makes me, this question makes me nervous. (laughs) Well, I think I think it initially started out as just uh, you know what have what have you seen lately that has kind of you know blown your mind, and then I think you know it's I hard know. it's hard not to ask those those kinds of things, um, you know. I just um, and it's, you know I, I guess at the same time too because uh, it doesn't always have to be something that I don't know. Yes. It kind of relates to those moments I think too. You know, some of the best things that I see aren't necessarily just you know, who's ever at the MCA or something like that right. either, you know, so. Well, she, but I have to say though, that Cosma Van Bonen completely changed my way of thinking. So she would be someone, she would be it for me in terms of that. Right. Um, things that, you know, I sort of, I mean, I guess really on a very simple basis, this, I started a blog called mm-hmm. 365 Skies so the sky blows my mind on a daily basis. Um, so I'm in this sort of 365 days of documenting the sky. Um, I guess, you know, I think that I walk my son to school every morning. Um, and there's always something. I think in terms of repetition, I do the same thing every morning. Right. But I see something different every day in doing the same thing every month, every day, you know? So I think that that's something that is thought provoking. Um, 
and right now, I, it's like, I'm completely depressed, so I don't know. <laughs> That's a good, I can truly answer that question. Maybe it hasn't stopped raining in St. Louis. <laughs> what? I said maybe it hasn't stopped raining in St. Louis, though. Oh, I said maybe yeah. it... Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> this w- um, you know, I am completely consumed with the everyday. Um, so I think it's a tricky question. I wish I saw more things that blew my mind. I think my kid blows my mind on a daily basis. And for me at the moment, that's really what everything is about. I don't get a lot of time by myself. Right. Um, you know, out of out of the daily grind for the most part. Um, sure. But But what I think is really important and something that I focus on is working within the mundane and trying to find positive things in the mundane. So I create exercises like the 365 Skies, which is now turning into a project with a poet and is going to be a book. You know, so like there are things like that that just sort of, you know, that idea of slow and steady, working within the parameters that you have and still finding a creative outlet. Well, and so when can we, when is, when is the, uh, that project is that, that, when was that started? I guess I should ask. Well, it's actually, it's been started by me, I guess for the past couple of months, but the poet just came on and we're going to start January one. Okay. And, um, we are, it's also going to be produced by, the book is going to be made um, with Paperboat Studios, which is a local place in St. Louis. And we're still working out if we're going to do quarterly releases or do the full year, 365 days. Wow, that's, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, you know. but, you know, it produces a regiment for myself and also for the poet. And we're both, we both struggle in the daily mundane activity of life of life. So, right. you know, it's an assignment in a lot of ways and a way just to keep things moving. And then, um, again, just cause that last, that last little, little bit here. Um, <laughs> the, the other thing is, um, you, you were talking before about having a, a, a big piece that you're doing in, in Kansas city. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's going to be this, this coming summer or fall. I can't, I can't remember which one. Summer. Was. Okay. In April, May, it'll be installed, and then it's um, up for three months in the summer. It's a public art piece, and I have a wall that has a grade from four feet to twenty-five feet, <laughs> which scares the crap out of me. Um, but um, it's called Avenue of the Arts in Kansas City. Um, so. It's another one of those producing thousands of little things and putting it together for one big thing. Right, right. So I'm excited about that. And I have another show at UMSL, University of Missouri-St. Louis, and Gallery 210. Sounds um, it sounds like a nice busy year. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so. I think so. Although it'll be here before we know it. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, yep. Well, um, hopefully, hopefully everybody will be around to check those things out. Um, it yeah. sounds, sounds exciting. And, um, you know, I just want to, again, thank you for taking, uh, taking the time today to, to chat with me. So, yeah, thank you. Thanks again to Gina for joining us today. You can see more of her work at GinaAlvarez.com. And also remember to check out Skies365Blogspot.com. Music for today was provided by Stock Finster. Think again. Remember, you can check out old episodes of Studio Break by visiting studiobreak.com. And also remember to become a fan on Facebook, where you can find out about a contest that's going on right now. For details, check out Studio Break on Facebook. Lastly, remember you can check out my work by visiting davidlinaway.com. Hope you enjoy the tunes, and we'll talk to you real soon.